Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. That's Billy Joel on piano, performing the iconic opening of his Angry Young Man. Three genres in barely as many seconds. It could be The Who, then it could be Aaron Copeland, but that piano couldn't be anybody but Billy. Billy Joel, Pink Floyd, Barbara Streisand, The Beatles, Van Morrison. These are just a few of the musical acts, heritage acts as they are referred to now, who share a relationship with my guest today. They're among the most famous names in music, still packing the biggest halls and arenas around the world, in no small part due to their frequent concert promoter, Ron Delsiner. Delsiner is a working-class kid from Queens who rode his charm and his hustle all the way to the top of the music industry. In fact, he may be the biggest concert promoter of all time. Delsiner basically created the genre of massive outdoor concerts, starting with his series at Woolman Rink in 1967 and growing into the epic Free Concerts in the Park. For those, he got all the names. Pavarotti, Streisand, even post-breakup Simon and Garfunkel, one of the most attended musical performances of all time when Delsiner put it on in 1981. You can feel the excitement of a half a million people Promoting is a complicated job. You're booking talent and securing venues. You're setting ticket prices and marketing the show. Musicians have to trust you. Venues have to fear you. Plus, it's risky. Promoters can lose their shirts. They're the ones putting up the money for marketing, and whatever they've promised the talent, they pay. Doesn't matter how many tickets get sold. It requires nerves of steel. You booked the biggest acts in the business for many, many years. 52 years. 52. For many, many years. Most of these people have what we call the artist's temperament. What? <laughs> how They're do you, wonderful how do, people. <laughs> how, how do you deal with the artist's temperament? Well, I got screwed up a few times on this. Should I mention names? I you, don't, you don't have to. You can just, as an example, just describe someone. You don't have to name. You name the name of people well, you like. Well, once I had, it was a Miami Sound Machine show. Gloria Stefan. Oh, I, I didn't say that, but you did. Right. It might have been. It might have been Shakira or. Uh, but you say Miami Sound Machine. We know it's Gloria. We know it's not Shakira. Very, anyway, go ahead. You're very hip. I can see yeah, that. Yeah. I'm a lawyer. And, and so it had rained, and the rain stopped, and there was rain or shine. The tickets in this about. 2,000 people going, hey, open the doors. I said, well, let's go. You're on, huh? And, and, and the husband comes over, a nice guy. He says, she absolutely will not go on. Uh, there is electricity in there, and she might get electrical. I said, let me tell you something. I will put a hose down my mouth and stick a microphone up my anus, put water on me, and I will not get electrocuted. <laughs> she never fucking talks to me again. She does the show, and I walk home. I take a taxi. 
I sent her an umbrella, you know, after that to make peace. <laughs> and a hose. And lo and behold, about three or four years later, I get invited to Whitney Houston's house when she was marrying Bobby Brown. Nice place in Jersey. Sitting right next to me, Gloria Estefan. And? Excuse me, Gloria, you know, I'm so sorry. Uh, did you get the umbrella I sent you? <laughs> I never want to work with you again. Marlena Dietrich said to me once, Hey, you're what in hell, Mr. Delster? But do you feel that there's, I mean, I don't want to beat this to death, but it's like the horse whisperer. Are you the rock star whisperer? Do you know what to say to get them to kind of calm down and get out there? And Very, this is a big part of what your job is. Every day. Even this morning I got a call from a guy and he's panicking. And I want to mention his name. He's a terrific guy. He's on a boat with his family. What are we going to do about Paul Anka? I said, well, I didn't book the show. A kid in my office did, but I'm going to take care of it. Well, Paul Anka wanted to... Uh, not play because there's only 200 seats sold. What's well, early yet? You know, we've got a while. And the guy's getting a lot of money, and the guy says to me, well, I, I can't pay him. Uh, he wanted 50,000 bucks not to play. I said, I've been in your position before. I'm going to try to straighten it out. After I leave you, I'm going to have to track down the agent for Paul Anko, the manager, and explain to him we only sold a few amount of seats, so how do we work it out? I'll give you a date someplace else, for that 125, please play this show for 50,000. So we break even with 200 seats, and I give Paul another date. So you have to be a diplomat. Horse and most trade. people aren't this They're way. Not. They don't know how to, but after you learn this, as you do in your craft, how to make everybody happy. Sit down at a table, not, it's this way, or we're going to bomb you, you're going to see fire and fury, we're going to burn your house and your kids, and the dog. I don't do that. You can't do that. You grew up in Astoria, Story of Queens. Your dad was in the cosmetics business? Correct. When did music, music enter your life? When did you sit there and 50s. go? 50s. Oh, Alan Freed. Alan, Alan Freed. Freed. Chuck Berry, rock and roll, stuff like that. Les Paul and Mary Ford, Capitol Records on a purple label all day long. They were amazing. I met Les Paul when he was 90. That was the first time they had overdubbing with an echo. Uh, the Count Basie band, I would go see him at Birdland for $2 to go downstairs and sit behind the piano. You sit there for 2 bucks. I bring my friends. I pretend I was Sinatra. I call somebody else Dean, and the other guy was Sammy. We sit there for two, three or four sets, and uh, I, I step tap uh, Basie on the back. I said, Mr. Basie, would you like, I'd like to buy a drink. Okay, what do you drink? Leaf brown milk. That cheap German <laughs> white drink. And later on, when my, I played him at a club I had on 40, 44th Street, which is the Hudson Theater, which is now a famous theater, but that's where Steve Allen did his first show. And the first band I ever put in there was the... You basic, had a club? Yeah, for a year until I went bankrupt. I put him, he came out in a wheelchair and played the piano. I had, it was called Mother's Day Dance. You bring your mother from Mother's Day, Count Basie Band, the original no. band. The original band. And the Count himself. Incredible. I love him. I got a big picture of him in my black and white. Right? He was the greatest. That band... These kids today, if they've heard this music, maybe we can turn them around, but they don't, they don't play it on the radio. They don't. You've got to go on WBGO out of uh, New, Newark, New Jersey, and that's only, and not, they don't want to hear it. My grandkids don't want to hear this. Right. They want to hear thump, 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 thump. There's no lyrics anymore. When you finished high school, you went into the Army? I'll tell you about that. Yeah. I was doing shows for City of Hope. My friend's father had died of cancer, Robert Amsterdam. And I got to the guy who liked me, and I did benefits at his house. I was 19. So you were a kid. All my friends were like 40, 45 with suits. <laughs> and I had a lot of young girls, and my sister was beautiful. And I called it the Junior Society of Manhattan. I had a little club for guys who want to meet girls. So I'd read uh, the Navarro Hotel, a suite. And I get a flamenco guitar player, and I bring in the booze there. 20 bucks for the guys. And they meet girls and shit like that. But I wasn't making any money. I go, holy Christ, I better come up with something. 
And so I became a writer at a um, advertising agency. And, uh, you know, hey, mom, don't forget to put a Macintosh apple into the kids' lunch today. You know, kind of crap like that. Or Desinex. Bunions are killing me. There you go. Desinex will kill that. And the guy jumps in the pool. He's got happy feet. He comes out. He had Desinex. And I did stuff like that. And I'm going, uh, talking to William B. Williams, because I had him MC some shows for cancer. I said, well, Willie, I got to get out of this thing. Met Mitch Lee. He was doing some commercials for me. Mitch Lee wrote Man of La Mancha. When did the Army come in? Oh, the Army came in 1959. Uh, I was going to be drafted. I go, wait a minute. I will join the Army Reserve and go six years to a camp, Camp Drum. What a mistake. They said, what did you do in private life, sir? I said, well, I was working at an agency once. I was a copywriter. And then the last time I was working for Lever Brothers, and they sent me out to do surveys about what soap do they like? And what's a good name for soap? This one, schmucky soap, this soap, Dove. And they picked out Dove. So you like to do surveys? I turned out to be a surveyor in a howitzer unit. I'd be running in this 16-foot-high grass in Oklahoma, running out there with the scope. Right. All right, so you tell them it's 300 yards away to shot. Drop the stake there. You got it. With the plumb bob, put it down here. I go, okay. <laughs> How long were you in the military? Live military, six months. My unit was never called up for six years, but I went to meetings every week at Fort Totten, and then I went every year up to Camp Drum, and we played soldier. But I brought my own folding cot. I ain't really sleeping with the ants, so I'm biting me all night, but the howitzers would go off. We in a howitzer unit. Bang! My bed jumped two feet off the ground. I'm going, I hope we never go to you war. You did that for six years? Yeah. Two weeks every summer. One summer I got out with Barbara Streisand playing a show for Lyndon Johnson in Atlantic City. I said, I need that. I have to do this show to get our guy elected again. And then I got a letter from a congressman from Illinois. So the sergeant in my unit goes, this guy's full of shit. Because I had a, a senator write a letter on behalf of the Democratic Party. This is important to America. I got it out of that one summer, but the rest I was there. The good thing about that, you go to... Um, the Thousand Islands, and there'd be hotels up there, and you get a pass, a Saturday night pass, so we meet girls. I met a girl from Texas, freckles, dancing, nice. Are you as girl-obsessed now as you were back then? A girl today, when I was driving my T-Bird, she waved, hey, that's great. I should have stopped to say, can I have your phone number? They like it when you have a nice car. When I first, uh, my first car was a Rolls, because I borrowed my mother's and father's all the time until I was 40 years old. What model of roses is it? 1965 Park Ward Milliner. I wish it was a Cornish. But it's beautiful. It's got the picnic tables in the back. Sandover Sable. I'll drive it out. You'll like it. It's beautiful. Does it run? Does it oh, run yeah, well? yeah, yeah. I took it to Lennox Mass once when my, my daughter was at camp, and it made it up there, thank God. Now, at what point does it transition to, like, the first big show you do? First big one was Ramsey Lewis Trio. We had the in crowd. Down, 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 the in crowd. the number one hit. I called up the talent agency. It was uh, this guy, Sal Safi. He was the Rams Lewis guy. He said, hey, kid, I heard about you. You're doing some stuff. All right, I'll sell you Lewis. I sold the tickets for six fifty, four fifty, and two fifty. Where? Carnegie Hall. That was the big, for me, oh, my God. My wife designed the ad, and I was so nervous. I said, you were married to Ellen then? I just got married, and I had no real job before then except writing copy, and the father looked at me and says, um, well, I was hoping for somebody better. I said, believe me, I won't let you down. You'll be proud of me. Because the first time I met her, 
I went to the house. Lady came, opened the door, with a maid's costume on, took me into the dining room with all these plates on the table and all these knives and spoons, which she leave from the right or the left. And he started talking. He said, what, what, what do you plan to do? I said, right now, do you know, the Pope is coming to America. He's coming to New York. And I got a great idea. We sell popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That was the end of it. You know, and my wife's biting the lip, and I go, no, no, we can make a fortune. In fact, I did this when the Ayatollah was kicking our ass when uh, Jimmy Carter was in office. I said, hey, we're going to sell fuck the Ayatollah buttons at Shea Stadium. And that's what we did to show our protest. So I did things like this to get started. But right away, the first year when I was married to my wife, I was success sex. I, I uh, convinced the Parks Department to do shows in Central Park, ice skating rink for a dollar a ticket when no one else was there because there was no ice skating in the summer once. Concerts at Woolman. That's right. The first thing was I got Ryan Goldbeard to be my sponsor. How did I get that? Because in my advertising days, I was friendly with the account executive at Doyle, Dane, and Burnback who had Rheingold as a client. And these guys said, go with it. We'll give you 35000 bucks a year and uh, book your acts. We were hit from day one. I took an ad in the paper. The show sold out for a dollar a ticket, and uh, they lined up at the Corvettes. That's where they sold us tickets. I made a deal with Corvettes. I said, you want to have traffic in your store? Put the record department on the second floor. So they have to go through all the other places to right. see to get up there. Maybe they'll buy something. It got so big that I had to do second shows at 1030 at night. People around the neighborhood hated it. But Hoving said to me, this is what he said, F it. He said, fuck that. You're doing the right thing. These kids, these people who come here, their vacation is the fire escape. They don't go to the Hamptons. Right. It's just coming here. Keep that up. And a lady who owned the building with Nikki Mantle once, oh, I forget her name again. She was wonderful. Cigarette smoking chick. They wanted to throw me out of the park. She invited me to her apartment. Come and have a press conference at my penthouse. She was God to me. So Paul Simon showed up, Patty LaBelle and the Blue Bells, and I brought in uh, President of Harlem, I forget the guy's name, very vociferous, this is good for my people, what he's doing here. You're scrapping. When did you sit there and go, oh, God, man, this is it, I made it. I mean, I'm in. I thought, uh, yeah, I I had it, I had a lock on it for about 25 years, because from that I did the free shows in Central Park. So James Taylor wanted to do a show there, I called the park commission, he was all for it. The city paid for it. Well, they let me have the cops for free and the land for free. So I had to get the money, make a T-shirt, last show in the sheep meadow. No more concerts on the sheep meadow, which hurt me, James Taylor. We sold them for 35 bucks. That was enough money to pay the stagehands, the union. Everybody else got no money, you know. Our security, a bunch of high school kids. Who paid Taylor? Uh, I think Taylor, Taylor might have done it for free. He wanted to do a free show. But after that, everybody got paid. Sure. When Simon and Garfunkel, they got paid, of course. And Lorne taped the show for me. And uh, Elton John, uh, I think Elton did it for free, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol King was there. It rained on her. That's another story. Pink Floyd hadn't played in years. So I came up with a genius idea, which backfired. Get the blow-up pig that they have. That's the, their logo. And fly it over Central Park. And then we'll get on the radio and say, hey, we got tickets for Pink Floyd, but you can't buy them unless you go to Central Park and you'll get a coupon to buy them. There's no box over Then you get the coupon, you run to the box office, but you got to get a coupon. So I had about 10 of us with bags of coupons. The announcement goes on radio, and these people, they knocked me on my ass. I fell down, <laughs> bang, running. I threw the tickets up in the air, yeah. ran for my life. But, of course, they could sell it anything, and they got the coupon to buy tickets. But these kind of things, they got the bigger and bigger and bigger. And I said, one day they're going to rope off Delaware. 
And you can't get in this state unless you have a ticket to see somebody. And it's gotten that way. When you do a show, we do a lot of shows at City Field and MetLife Stadium or Yankee Stadium, you're there watching the screen. Unless you're sitting in the first 20, 30 rows or have glasses, but no one seems to mind. You know what it is? They're there. We were there. The experience of being with that crowd yeah. is what's it about. It's like a scene. They want, to, they want to be there. Absolutely. Now, I'm assuming that there's more than one type of promoter, that there's different people who handle the same show differently. What type of promoter are you? Or are they all the same? Is what there... I do is I'm at every show if I have a relationship with an act. Or if I would like to have a relationship and I know them, I make it a point to buy them something. I used to buy gifts for everybody. Like with Billy Joe. You know, uh, we were friends. I bought him a hot rod once. Red with the dice hanging from the thing. He didn't like it. He traded it in for a motorcycle. <laughs> he traded in your present you bought him? Uh, yeah, yeah, right in front. Uh, I think I get a I get an Indian motorcycle. But uh, he was he, like, he's, he's the nicest to me. Look, he's doing all these shows at the garden, and he cuts me in. Who's an act that you kind of were 50-50 on, you didn't even really have any opinion or, or any sense of, who you watched them live and you really decided you liked them? A lot of that, uh, that uh, now that I'm a big corporation, you know, I saw my company, and uh, it's now called Live Nation. There's a lot of these acts that I go to see because uh, I didn't really know them that well. So I'd go down to see him at the Bowery or whatever, and I saw Hozier from England, H-O-Z-I-R. This kid, tall, good-looking guy with the beard, and I go, holy shit, I'm in. So I called the agent and told me to go, Kirk Summers, who's a wonderful guy. And uh, what would you think, Kirk says to me? I said, I think I want every day you got. No, no, you're going to get your market, New York, New Jersey, don't worry. So I've been with them for years. Uh, another act is James Bay. I know his mother and father now. I had breakfast with them in London. Really? <laughs> and they gave me a kid. Their other son is called Alex Francis. I got the CD from him. I'm booking him now, the kid. <laughs> and so I make friends with the families and everything. But these acts surprise me. So sex symbols, English, gorgeous, and, make it. and nice. I take everyone out to Old Lumi's Bar after the show till 4 in the morning. They got the bus. They're going to Boston at 4 in the morning. And I'm still closing the place with them. That's what we do. That's and it. you hang with these guys, but you hope that they remember that Uncle Ronnie, they call me, was there with us. And that's why uh, I do those little things that people don't go to the extra mile. Now, I'm forgetting about my family. You know, I, I lost my daughter. Well, not to lose her, but I, I wasn't there for her like I should have been like most people. And my wife the same way. And, it, you know, it, I'm trying to catch up. It's very, very hard. It's terrible. Who's the rock star that really impressed you with his business acumen? He understood the business and the ticket sales and the marketing. Who was sharp? Boy, that's a great question. Well, you don't get involved too much with the act. Uh, sometimes I do. For right now, not too sharp, but friends of mine, I tell them sometimes you're not making enough money. I tell them about the tickets. They should be higher, but I don't want to get the agent and manager in trouble to fire them, so I have to be t very careful what I say. Right. Jimmy Buffett has a great setup. He's got a lot of good people around him, and he's, they, they know about money, so right. he's sharp. He has all those other ancillary businesses, too. He's selling food and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> he is. He's got senior homes he's building, yeah. villages for exactly, old people. Yeah. He's what in, about Jack or somebody told me? He's very business savvy. 100% runs the whole show. Right. He knows about money. You give him five, ten million. It's not enough. Whatever I offered him, two hundred million for a few shows at the garden. Are you kidding me? You can make that in five shows at some ball field in Prague. But right. uh, 
Roger Waters is smart about the money. He knows everything about that. He's very careful about it. But he doesn't care what he spends on putting the show together. Mm -hmm. And they were always this way. When he was with Pink Floyd, that band we going, okay, we want a, what would you give the Stones when they were here? Uh-huh, you had a little village of New York City, and you had egg creams and a, an organ grinder. All right, here's what I want. I want a pool table. I want a golf driving range. I want $1,000 tins of beluga. So I go to Dave Gilmore. I said, Dave, you guys are pissing away a lot. He says, it's not me, it's Roger. I go, it's okay. <laughs> okay, right, right. Whatever you want, Roger. So, but that's the way he is today. If I calls me, Ronnie, come over to the house, we'll play cards. We play gin rummy together. He says, uh, I got some caviar. He's the best caviar. You want the best wine? Always the best with him. New York's legendary concert promoter, Ron Delsener. I'd always figured that Roger Waters' Pink Floyd classic Money, those cash registers in the background, and peons to caviar were meant ironically. Apparently not. Ron Delsner has produced many a Billy Joel concert in his day. But if you don't want to wait to buy a ticket, listen to our Here's the Thing interview. He may fill Madison Square Garden now, but when Billy made his first album, nobody was paying very close attention. The album was mastered at the wrong speed. So a song like this. She's got a way about her. I don't know what it is, but I know that I can't live without her. Got Matt played like this. She's got a way about her. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I know that I can't live without her. So if you hear that interview and more at here's the thing.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. My guest today, Ron Delsener, is one of the most successful concert promoters of all time. He's also in the Long Island Music Hall of Fame for his renovation of the Jones Beach Amphitheater. He turned it into one of the most important venues on the East Coast. And he's seen lots of concerts. When you'd be there watching these shows, some of the greatest acts that ever lived, would you sit there and go, now this guy's the greatest drummer. This girl's the greatest singer. Janis Joplin. I've never seen anybody work that stage like her. Carole King, when she first sat down, I had that multi-billion dollar album that she had with Lou Adler. Uh, every song on that album was a killer. She knocked them dead at the piano. Barbara Streisand, uh, I played her in Central Park, a free show in 1967. I remember. 135,000 people. Watched, yeah. Oh, my God. I watched videos of it, yeah. And at Forest Hills Tennis Stadium, too. Neil Diamond had magic when he walked out on that stage. You know, this night is kind of special. <laughs> right. He pulled you in. Special. Dramatic lighting. I want to compare and contrast who had the biggest entourage and who had the smallest entourage. Who's somebody who came in and you went, oh, my God. It's like an army of people. Bob Marley, these guys were heavy dealers from uh, Jamaica. Yeah. And they'd be in the dress room and they'd be smoking a spliff. And I'd be talking to Bob Marley. He says, you better take care of this man here. Give us some money. Give us some money. I said, wait, I'm taking care of Bob, not you. And they were pretty heavy guys, so I didn't like that too much. And 
it's it does it still go on? Uh, Who had the smallest yes. entourage and was the least fuss? Well, Steely Dan's that way. They walk in like low key. Anyway. I went to your house that time, and Fagan was there. Steely Dan is that kind of way. Uh, Paul Simon's that way. Low maintenance. Low Paul, definitely Paul Simon. These are at the top of my head, and even Roger Waters. Most of the acts I play. But Eric Clapton won't see even me unless he wants to call. I said, I don't want to see you. Call me if you want to see me. Yeah, they, he's low-key. Van Morrison's low-key. I mean, it's, there's a tons of them are low-key. Because they've been, they've, been, they've been doing it for so long. Yeah. The newer acts, I mean, you probably can't get next, near Beyonce or Jay-Z. They're great, right. but I don't know what they travel in after. I should say they never try to get that close. And I, I respect the, 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 the privacy. But back in then, most all the English acts when they first came over were easy to get to because their drivers came to the parties after the show with them right. and giving them a drugs. <laughs> right. Hey, what's the driver doing there? Well, he's carrying for us. Uh, uh, those days were great, the early 60s and 70s. One other thing I've noticed, and I had this got this observation, because of you, you got me tickets to the 12-12-12 concert. Mm. I said to you, uh, I really want to say hi to... Townsend and Daltrey. And so I meet those guys and I say to Daltrey, I say, do you guys ever play Sally Simpson anymore? And he was like, what? And you can tell that all of them have lost their hearing, you know? Townsend has tinnitus really bad. Yeah. Now, the last 15 years, they all have these monitors they put in their ears, Rod Stewart and stuff, so they don't blow their voice out because yeah. they, they put them in so now they hear themselves and it, they can talk they can like modulate. this and it, it goes out loud. It goes out, yeah. So they don't break. Most of them, tone deaf, Bad tinnitus. There's guys out there, uh, Ozzy Osbourne. People still go out there with nothing. But you've in seen them get old. Oh, you see. But the thing is, none of them want. This is my opinion. We were talking about this before you came. None of them want to stop. They're not done. They all said back then, when we get to be thirty, we're not going to do this anymore. <laughs> Jagger said that. Now they're seventy-five. Uh, but what's 75. his name? Charlie Watts is seventy-five, seventy-six. He might be close to my age. For Christ's sake, you know he's up there, maybe eighty now. But they still do. They don't it. want to stop. Look who I'm playing the other night. I'm playing Jeff Beck with Paul Rogers. Listen, the Heritage Acts are selling tickets, though. Yeah. People want to see the Heritage Acts. People's kids now go, uh, Daddy, the father says, you got to go see this act. I did that with my grandkids. You got to see Billy Joe. You got to see Paul McCartney. There's nobody like these guys. I did the Beatles in 1964. Now, you traveled the world, but you were based out of New York. Yeah. Is New York still controlled by the unions, or is it a lot easier to do business now than it was 40 years ago? Because I feel like 40 years ago, there was like a few guys that ran the whole town. It's still crazy. Uh, the union now, local one, is the Clavy family. I'm friendly with them because their dad is still around, James Sr., as around, and James Jr. is the head of Local One, and Richie Claffey, uh, who was eight years old when he was running around my stage in Central Park, he's got a great job with Jim Dolan, runs the garden, right. and we're all friends. I take these guys to, uh, to Patsy's at least once or twice a year. Right. Talk. They're great guys. Would they help Uncle Ron out if something happened? Yes. But I keep that kind of quiet what I do with them on the side because they don't do it for anybody else. But if I ever needed something, they get there, so I'm friendly with them. They're almost like the, my family. We're very close with these guys. So when, But then it was tough way back when. I mean, they people would pick it, and they would pick it, and I always let them in. They were picketing at the Hammerstein. Picketing Star. for what? They were picking in to get uh, uh, union workers working the Hammerstein Bowl. Oh, so I went down there, and they put on the, the hard hat, and I picketed with them to get <laughs> union in there. Because I had union at my venues 
I always hired him. I said, look, I can't give you that stupid money and don't pile it on me. I, yeah. Even with the Longshoremen Union, I made a deal with them. I had this show uh, at Pier, uh, Pier 84, which was a pier that the Longshoremen controlled, and I didn't really know that until they said, hey, we've got to help you here. I said, I don't need any help. I'll tell you about that later when the guy dies, he's still alive. I mean, they were, they were terrific to me. I have no comments. A lot of the guys there were connected. Who cares? So when did the idea for Jones Beach hit you? Oh, there was an article in the Daily News and Frank Barcelona, Soul Rest in Peace, he was head of premier talent. He had all the English acts. He had uh, The Who, he had uh, Clap, no, he had everybody. He said, Ronnie, you better go bid on this. It looks like the Schubert's are going to go after it, the Netherlands, you should be there. So I bid on it, and I won over all those other guys. I took my egg salad, egg salad sandwich with me and went up and met him. I really... <laughs> Everybody voted for me except the governor of New York. He didn't, he wanted he wanted the Radio City guys in there. And uh, after a while, we became friends. He said, I should have voted for you. It was 10 to 1. I won 10 to 1. I said, I'll give you $10,000 a show and $100,000 guarantee the first year. Perfect. No one else would guarantee that. My wife and I go to the Jones Beach concert a while back to Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. It was kind of a warm night, a little balmy. You know, the sun's just going down. It's just getting dark. And as soon as the lights went out, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. As soon as the lights went out, it went off like an airbag with the velocity of an airbag. The entire breadth of where we were sitting, you saw a cloud of dope smoke just go <laughs> all over the room. Everybody lit a joint. It was like it was like 500 people lit a joint at, at the once. same instant. And the, and, and the dope smoke went up in the air like it was part of the show. And I looked at my wife and I went, oh my God, I can't even breathe. You know, we, and we got a little high, you know, like, like being there. But who's somebody... When you look back, you wish, man, I wish I had promoted that person, done shows with well, that I'd person. Well, I played him many, many times when I was scared shit to talk to the guy. Sinatra. I played Sinatra for us. I played him every summer at the Garden State Arts Center, but I didn't want to have my, I don't have a picture with him. No. I could have done it easy. He, guy, he, he, was he, was he, he Well, the manager, the manager I knew, and he didn't want to get out of here. Got to talk to him like, Hey, Frank, what the hell are you doing this for? He has respect for people who talk that way. I always have this funny, egotistical thing where I think I could have been friends with Sinatra because I would have given it back to him. He don't want to hear, you're the best, I love you, Frankie. You don't want to hear that shit. If you go, because uh, I talk to everybody, I tell them they look like shit or whatever. I don't care who they are. I mean, they go, you know who I'm you talking to? Yeah, I know, you're the president of America. I don't care. But that's what you have to do with him. If he I, respects if I, that. If I made a movie out of your life and you want us that'd be a cool movie you know, if I'd I made like, a movie out of your life and I had somebody play you in a movie I know it would be who would play you Robert Downey Jr. You, oh that's who you want yeah Maybe, yeah, that would work. That'd be, that's killer. a good idea. Because, that's but, a very good idea. He, he, I may run into him in the next couple but of days. I tell He's him out all, here for a I while. I tell him all the sick things we used to do, and you, I mean, I can't. Put it in there. I love my wife. I gotta wait till I die. Listen, we don't, we don't have to say you. it's about you. We he, say it's an amalgam. No, he would be he would be great. Put that together, we'll make a shit. But but in my movie, this kid from Astoria becomes the big shot concert promoter of his generation. I mean, your name is Delsoner is synonymous with big events, music, live music. You, it's Bill Graham and you. That's it. There's other names, but not you know Cedric Kushner and these guys. Forget about a wrestler. Right, right, right. Nothing. (laughs) Fucking wrestler. The only reason he got a couple of shows on Fleetwood Mac, he's from South Africa, and he offered him 95.5. He had an in with the fucking guy. I mean, was, come on, I didn't even go to his funeral. He's a loser. Come on, he's a wrestler person. So, we, wrestler. so well, let's leave the wrestler out of it. But in my movie, the kid from Astoria is leaning against 
the ropes in the wings of the theater. I like it really sentimental, you know. And he's leaning against the ropes. He's sitting there going, man, this is it. This is the life. And someone's on stage performing who you just melt. You just, who, who, who's the star? Who are we going to, who, who, who makes you melt? Oh, come on. You're in the music, but just give you know, me one. But I'll give you one. David fucking Bowie. amazing what a performer he was an artist he was a performer and Jagger comes from the same school costumes dresses the way they did that the whole thing those guys were great you can't now you can't go to groups I mean it's just of course you fix them out it's the who the stones those guys the guys clapped but there's others Charles Aznavour when he yeah. came out with the hand movements in the black and white suit, he and uh, Edith Piaf together, they were lovers. At 93, we're still friends. I always played him at Carnegie Hall. I love these French artists, these old-timers, Charles Trenet and people like this. Remember that song? Be- Beyond. Somewhere. Yeah, you got it. Beyond, Beyond the, the sea. Waiting waiting for for me. Me. That was written by Charles Trenet. For like Bobby every- Darren. Everybody records that Everybody song. recorded it. Charles Trenet. He was a great performer. When Neil Diamond first came out with the lighting at the Winter Garden Theater, he would get with the hair and something, I just kind of, he was magnetic. Uh, who today comes out like that? Oh, God, that's tough to do. When the drums start and the quiet, Sinatra was incredible. I saw him his last show at the Copacabana when he was the man with the golden arm at two o'clock in the morning. In the audience is uh, Edward G. Robinson, a few others, and I'm sitting right behind the band there in the corporate. They put a table out, packed. Comes out in a black shirt, black suit, black tie, and the theme is the man with the golden arm thing because the movie was hot. Yeah. That was Otto like, Preminger. That, that night was magnetic. You see with the wow. cigarette up in the end, the smoke going up in the air. You see stuff like that. So the song we're going to go out with well, on the show is Rip. Beyond the Sea. Who's, who's, whose version you like? Bobby Darren. No, we'll I played Bobby Darren at Joe. Wait a minute. Period. <laughs> wait a minute. It's like a pinball machine. Wherever we go, it's like, I booked him. I booked him. Wait, when his kid was on a stage watching in the wings. This I is booked incredible. Babe Ruth. He was signing autographs. That's true. Al Jolson came to my house. He had a... So here's this story. Wait a minute. Bobby Darren played the Schaefer Music Festival. It was a wrangle for a dollar a ticket in Central Park. And he was great. You see, he also did that song about the carpenter, uh, a folk song he did that was hot at the time. He tried to be hip, you know, besides it's not the shit he did. If I was a carpenter and you were my lady. You got it. He did that. He had a heart problem. He should have right. had it cured by then. Give him a new yeah. fucking heart. Because he was Sinatra for young people. He was great. Well, Frank probably didn't like him, but he was fucking great. And he was magnetic. So he was great. You ever see Jimmy Roselli sing? I played him so many fucking times. He wore a girdle. He, he go in the dressing room. He's putting the girdle on. I'm playing at the Palace Theater with Pasquale Caputo. Pat, Pat Hen, That's Pasquale Caputo? Is Pat, Pat Henry. Is Pat... Yeah, he's opening for Jimmy Roselli at the Palace. And uh, Jimmy's going, you got the dead presidents? He wants to see the green, yeah. you know, the cash. And he was great. And by the way, he was out. He was never going to be played again because Sinatra said he's out of my do you, life. Do you know that? that Tell uh, a story. Um, 
uh, Gus Van Zandt was going to make a movie with Travolta called The Man Who Made the Mob Cry. And it was all about how Sinatra's people killed Roselli's career. Correct. Because they, they, he, he, he was as good, if not better, they used well, to say. Well, but he wouldn't play... His his mother, Frank's mother, Dolly, wanted him to play at the birthday party, and Frank calls up Jay and says, I don't do that. He wanted to get paid. Frank didn't want to pay him. He goes, I don't do that. That's why he was, that's it, nowhere anymore. He played Jersey, Atlantic City, for the rest of his life. And I saw him later on in life, and he still had the, the corset on, you know, like this. But he was great. He had the best voice I've ever heard. And all the, all the women in Femina, your life. Femina, la, da, 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 Femina. You pay at the rails all the time. They played with Jimmy Roselli. Now, all the women in your life, women you dated, your wife, anybody you knew, women who worked for you, rock and roll is obviously a business with a, like a hypersexuality to it. Who was the sexiest rock star? Who's somebody you met? The guy would show up and people were just throwing themselves I mean, at guys. Him. Guys. David Cassidy. Put him in the oh. trunk of my car to get him out of the National Coliseum. In the trunk of my car. Drove him to my house in West Hampton. Come on, get out. It's okay. They were following him all around the place. He was incredible stuff. He just died like broke. I know. Yeah. He once played Jones Beach for me a few years ago. He had no money to take a taxi back to Manhattan. I said, I'll get you a limo. Yeah. This is how bad it was for these guys. Yeah, I know. It's terrible when they go down. Like what about a woman? Who's the sexiest woman? Uh, I got to think who was sexy. Uh, Peggy Lee was the nicest, too. Sexy and classy. I was uh, doing a show with her at, uh, at the Woman Ice Skating Rink. He says... Where's the food? I said, my sponsor is a shape of beer. You got a case of beer in the dressing room. No, no. I got an orchestra here. Send somebody out. Here's 200 bucks to this place was famous, I forget, in Times Square to get hot dogs for everybody in the band. She was great. I don't want to go too, into too much details about drugs in your business, but my friend takes me to a concert. And it's a famous uh, metal band, a big hair band, and we're standing there talking, and the show's about to start, and you hear in the stars dressing room, you hear, <coughs> 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 then you hear, Yeah, roughly, yeah. Oh, whoa! <laughs> the voice just clicks in, man. It's all there. He does two big rails, and he's ready. The door opens. He throws the scarf around. And he's like, you know, let's go! And he's ready to go. Is that your business? Is that a part of your business? They got to get their motivation right, well, don't years they? Years ago, a couple of people once in a while would say, hey, I got to be, dust me up, dust me up, man. <laughs> And I go, what do you want? I mean, uh, uh, Jimmy Smith, the organ player, I was playing a show with him, and I go in later on in life, hey, man, you got any coke? I, Jimmy, that was 20 years ago. He was bad. But I don't see that anymore. Right. I don't see so that's not the but same. But sexy women, I, I got to think of sexy women. I mean, uh, I love my wife, but uh, who was sexy? Was a chick? I got to think about that. Stevie she, Nicks? Carly Simon? Uh, she, yeah, she was hot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, long legs and all that kind of stuff. Grace Slick. I got. Uh, no, yeah, no. Okay. Okay, that's okay. I got. I got to think of it. Off, off camera here, we'll talk about who it is. I got to figure it out. Was this some new chicks today? Janelle Monet is supposed to be pretty sexy. I don't know. I, I, I guess the sexiest woman today is Beyonce. Well, I tell you what. Christy Turlington to me. I'm talking she, about people that sing, she's most, not people that came and sat in the well, front row. Maybe she can sing. Okay. Back when, and then when you were 12 years old, it was like uh, Eartha Kitt. Zazie Bone. Yeah. My brother Billy's mother-in-law, Michelle Phillips. There's one who was gorgeous. Gorgeous. What was the name of the band? Mamas and the Papas. That's it. Lou Adler retired on that money. My brother is married to her daughter, China, and China's daughter, Brooke, is a carbon copy of Michelle. Scary. It looks exactly like Michelle. Yeah, All right, let, let's do this. So when we go out, we'll go out with Beyond the Sea, yeah. but I want to say thank you for doing this. Thank you. You are... Uh, uh. 
It's you, about time we got to are, talk are, to each other. You are the man, and you're yeah. still doing the shows at Jones Beach. So are you. You're still doing yeah, your no. shit, too. We're going to do this. We, that's what we do. We get up in the morning, and that's what we do. I tell my wife that. It's unfortunate that my wife now doesn't have... We don't have the relationship. We, I feel it. It's really terrible for me to feel that way. But I love her like crazy. She loves me. It, it ruins lives. But it, you know. But we, the business came first. We, we, exactly. Like Kazan said in that movie, you know, that was our job. We were told to do that. We didn't ask questions. Ron Delsner. As he and I discussed, we're going to take the show out on Bobby Darren's Beyond the Sea. But Ron wanted to pay tribute to the song's writer, too. So we'll start with the version by Charles Trenet. The song and the chords are the same, but listen to the melancholy tinge, strings and harp instead of brass and percussion. La mer des reflets changeants sous la pluie. I know beyond a doubt my heart will lead me there soon. Just as before Happy we'll be Beyond the sea And never again That one verse is the only thing that makes it a love song. We'll kiss just as before And never again I'll go sailing. That's missing in Trenet's original. It's just the singer and the song. I wonder which one Ron prefers. Ron Delsener, the man who promoted the rock acts that you love, and your children love, and your grandchildren love. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing.